A Jewish boy and his family, they move into a new neighborhood. Problem with the new neighborhood, the public school system's not that great, so they decide they want to send him to a Catholic school. Problem with the Jewish boy going to Catholic school is that they have to make an exception for that, so they arrange for an interview with the mother superior of that particular school, and she says, young man, you do have a problem, but I'm going to give you some information, and you study it and come back, and I'll interview you, and if you pass the test, we'll go ahead and admit you. So the little boy takes the material home, and he studies it, but just to make sure that he doesn't miss anything in the interview, he writes certain things under the belt of his pants, so that when he peeks down, he'll be able to do this and look, and maybe kind of get a little insight into some of the questions that she may ask. So he studies for a while, and he does this. He goes back, and Mother Superior begins to interview him. And she asks the first question. She said, uh, son, where was our Savior born? He peeks down below his belt, looks up, smiles, and says, Bethlehem. She says, okay. Um, son, who was our Savior's father? Joseph. Okay. And uh, son, who was our Savior's mother? Mary, Mother Superior says, that's really good. I got one last question to ask you. Says, son, what is our Savior's name? Boy looks up, smiles, says, Calvin Klein. (laughs) It's a funny story, but, you know, there are a lot of people in our cultures, particularly a materialistic culture, who would believe that uh, Calvin Klein... Louis Vuitton, Carol Little, Liz Claiborne, Ralph Lauren are the answer to life's problems. Amen, ladies? No, no. Anybody I missed? (laughs) Huh? Oh, Donna Karen. Okay, there you go. And it's like, you know, it makes you wonder, but, you know, I've heard it said, and I'm not so sure what this is all about, but I've heard it said that the... uh, the, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Now, I'm not sure what's all included in that, what's meant by that, but I do know this, that the road to debt is paved with advertising illusions and financial deceptions. The road to debt is paved with advertising illusions and financial deceptions. In our last meeting together, we saw that there's four common causes of problem debt. The majority of, who's, of us who get into trouble from a debt standpoint are guilty of one, if not many of these, and that is the fact that, you know what, number one, we lack self-discipline. The majority of people who get involved in problem debt lack self-discipline. And discipline basically is the ability to just say no and deny yourself certain urges that you may have. You see something, you want it, and you don't have the ability, or not even the ability, but you don't have the willingness to just simply say No, I don't need it, we don't need it, I don't want it, no. The second problem is that, you know, the majority of us have a certain sense of a lack of contentment. We think certain things will be the answer to our problems, we think certain things will meet all the needs that we have, and we get those things, acquire those things, achieve those things, and find out that they're they're not bringing about the sense of contentment that we're looking for. So we continually strive to try to do that. A good illustration of that, read it sometimes, is in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. The wealthiest man who ever walked the face of the earth, according to the Bible, was a man named Solomon. And Solomon had everything that this world had to offer, and yet there was something missing in his life. There was no contentment, and he continually tried to, to strive to fill that need that he had in his life. Many of us are searching in different areas and directions for the sense of contentment, only to find out that we're left holding a lot of debt because of it. The third thing was that there's a search for security. 
All of us want to feel secure. We want to feel that everything's going to be okay. That's a need that most of us have. And the problem is that we put our hopes or security in things that can never produce that or provide that. We put it in our jobs or our careers or we put it in you know, our bank accounts or, like I said, in retirement programs or maybe the equity in a home. We're putting our security in things that in a moment's notice could be gone and flee from us. Number four is there's a search for significance. Many, particularly in materialistic cultures, have a certain sense that, you know what, if I have certain things, if I wear certain clothes, if I wear certain labeled clothes, if I can go and shop at certain places, if I can drive a certain car, then I'm a significant person. Then somehow the people around me will look at me as being someone special or someone significant. And And we learn that, you know what, as we try to fill these needs in our life, we end up in trouble because of it. And we need to recognize that those are the, the things that lead us down this road to debt. But, but as we look at these things, and hopefully if you've got your Bible, turn with me for a moment to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, we, we looked at this passage, at least the first, the first verse that we're going to read in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. We saw this several sessions ago when we looked at the fact that, you know what, sometimes our priority system gets messed up. And when that happens, that leads us into a lot of trouble as well. But in Matthew chapter 6, starting with verse 24, we read these words. It says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and he'll love the other, or he will hold on to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and materialism. You can't have everything. You can't have it both ways. And he goes on to say this, For this reason, well, what's the reason? Well, the reason ties back the thought that precedes it. And the reason is that, you know what? Since you can't serve two masters, you can't serve both God and you can't serve money too. He says, for this reason, I say this to you. Don't worry about it. Don't be anxious for your life as to what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor for your body as to what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body than clothing? Now look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, they don't reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And which of you, being anxious or worrying, can add a single cubit to your lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow, and they do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon, even in all of Solomon's glory, did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God so arrays the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more do so for you, O men of little faith? Don't be anxious then saying, what are we going to eat or what are we going to drink or what are we going to close ourselves with? For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. If we haven't learned anything up to this point but this one truth, that is that when we put God first in our life, when we make Him our priority, when we love Him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, when He comes first, and that's our value system, that's our priority system, every decision is funneled through that, then everything else in life, including our financial life, will take care of itself. Think about what he's saying just in this simple passage and hundreds of other passages of the same thing, and that is this. God cares for you. God cares for you. He knows your needs. That's what he's saying. Jesus said, don't you understand? God knows you need food and shelter and clothing. God knows that. God knows you need to make a living and earn a living, and he knows you need a job, and he knows you need to earn money, and he knows you need to earn money to buy those things. God knows that. 
What are you thinking? The Bible continually says that God cares for you. Cast all your cares upon him. Why? Because he'll care for you. Priority system again. Funnel through that value system. God, if you care for me, hey, I'm not going to worry about these or be concerned about these because I know you care for me. Why? Because I'm more significant than everything else that you've created. And I look around me and I see you taking care of a stupid little bird. Then you know what? I think you'll care for me. Some of us don't take time to look around. And that's what he's saying to do. Look up. Stop looking around. Stop looking down. Stop comparing yourself to other people. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. But look up for a second. I think this is the first grandson illustration I ever used. I'm going to use this. Our grandson loves birds. I think our kids like birds. Most kids like anything that's up in the air. That's why if you've ever seen people, you know, as we get older, you look up in the air and you see, you know, you, you, sit, you look up in the air and you see a plane and go. And that's why if you ever have those little plane spoons, they're really confusing to kids. You get those airplane spoons, you get some food in it, and you go like this, and you go like this into their mouth. So then when they go outside and they look at an airplane up in the air, they're going. That has nothing to do with anything. I don't know where that came from. But, but what, what, it, what it does, I know it does, it relates back to this, though. I know this. That he likes to look up in the air and look at birds. Now, most of us haven't stopped for a long time to look at a bird. But what he's saying is, look at the birds. Don't I care for them? I take care of them. Now, are you not worth much more than a bird? And the obvious answer is, of course we are. Are you not more valuable than grass or hay or lilies of the field that one day have flowers and are beautiful and the next day they die? That's the thing that's so hard about you know, buying you know, women flowers. It's just such a short-term sighted thing. That, you know, you want a big, you know, don't, no, ladies, I mean, you don't like a tree planted in the yard or something instead of flowers? I mean, look how much longer they'll last. No, no way. All right, well, hey, just keep buying those flowers then. But it's just a thought. Think about it. It might, it might be fiscally irresponsible to buy flowers. And... I said it might be. I don't know. We'll check into it. We'll dig in and find out. All right. Um, but the, the obvious point is, hey, you know what? God cares for us more than all of that. In Psalm 119, 165, we read these words. Those who love your law have perfect peace and nothing will cause them to stumble. Those who love your law have perfect peace and nothing will cause that person ever to stumble. Isn't that amazing? I love that. Now, here's the problem that I have, and I want you to think about this for a second. If God cares for me, I'll make it personal. If God cares for me, and if God says that I'm significant, then why do I struggle still with a lack of discipline, a lack of contentment? Why do I struggle with a search for security and a search for significance? Why do we still struggle with all these things if God says, I've taken care of those needs? That's a very valid question. And I want you to consider that because most of us still struggle with those things. And I want to tell you what I believe. I believe that I still struggle with those things 
because I am constantly bombarded relentlessly and viciously with information that would cause me to doubt what God says is true. That's what I believe. I believe that on a daily basis, I am bombarded relentlessly and viciously with information that basically says this. God really never said that, did he? You remember what Adam and Eve struggled with when they were confronted by the deceiver, the liar, the devil himself, who said, now let me get this straight. God said you can eat of all the fruit of this garden, but of this one tree in the center of the garden, he says you can't eat of that? Now, you must have misunderstood what God had to say, because now doesn't, that doesn't make any sense to you, does it? Why would he give you everything but one tree? I think he just missed that tree. God really didn't say that, did he? And so we live in a world where we get bombarded with, very subtly, Chuck, God couldn't have said that. Because if he said that, that doesn't make any sense at all. And we know God makes sense. So he couldn't have said that. You know, that's a good point. Maybe he didn't say that. What are the messages that question God's truth that we're bombarded with on a regular basis? Philippians 2.15, God's people are called to, listen to this, live in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. We are to live in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. Now, I don't know if you need to simplify for you, but crooked and perverse simply means we live in a world that's filled with crooks and perverts. How's that for a definition? Right? Now, does anybody have a problem believing that? We live in a world filled with crooks and perverts. Now, the question I have is, God, why would you leave me here? With all these crooks and perverts. He says this, John 17. I have given them thy word, and the world has hated them, because they're not of the world, even as I am not of the world. And I don't ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. Do you ever wonder why people hate you as a Christian? Do you ever wonder why when you try to reasonably confront people with what they are saying or what they believe from a different vantage point, they look at you like you're stinking nuts? Or they just want to, you know, they get their own little group of people together and they go after you? I was in a meeting yesterday, or the day before, one day, I was in a meeting. I want you to hold me to it. I don't remember exactly. But there's a whole group of people. There was only maybe one or two of us that were Christians. All the rest of these guys are non-Christians. And it had to do with athletics or something or other. And, uh, and it was like a lynch mob, man. And they were an ugly group of people. And they started to, to espouse their views. And I just thought, well, I'll challenge these views. Reasonable, rational manner. They look at you and they got that look on their face like, if we could kill you right now and dispose of your body, I think I can get enough support to do it. Or they look at you like, you're nuts. What, where are you, what, what's the deal with you? Now, we've all been there, and you suddenly go, God, why in the world have you left me to deal with all this kind of stuff? 
Jesus says this. I'm not asking my father to take you out of this. You become a Christian, zoop, you're gone. He's saying, hey, all I'm asking is that he protects you in the midst of all these crooks and perverts. That's not bad. Turn with me for a moment to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. You see, as you're turning there, we, we need to realize that, you know what, God has left us in a position of influence. He says we're to appear as lights in the midst of all these crooks and perverts. We're to be directional lights, illuminating lights, stop lights. In this meeting yesterday, you start to challenge people, and all of a sudden it was like a stop, a stop light. Boom, everything stopped. All conversation stopped, everything that was going on stopped, and nobody said a word until I walked away, and then they started again. I remember I used to walk in the Rams locker room. I walk in the Rams locker room, I thought I was E.F. Hutton. <laughs> I swear, I, I, went, I ran home, checked my bank account. I, I thought, you know, I, I must be E.F. Hutton. You walk in the room, everyone goes, I guess, You walk out, you know, you peek back in, I I got you. You know, and you go, man, you know, what's it like, you know, when, when, we're, when we're, you know, the stoplight, stoplight, illuminating light. You know, we're, we're a light in the world. And in 1 John, as you look at chapter 2, we begin to realize that, you know what, there, there's something that needs to be said about this whole world system that we live in. 1 John 2, look at verses um, 15 through 17. He says, you know what, we're in this world, but we're not of this world. He leaves us in this world to be involved with crooks and perverts. And the reason he leaves us here is for a purpose, that we will be a light. That there'll be something different about us. That we'll, we'll light up a room when we walk in. And it has nothing to do with the clothes that we're wearing. It has to do with who we, who we represent and who we reflect. And so as we walk into this world that we live in, it's, God says, don't love this world nor the things in this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from this world. And don't forget that this world is passing away and also its lusts, but the one who does the will of God will abide forever. Wow, that's some good stuff. Don't forget when you get all hung up and you're worried about this world that we live in and how you compare to everybody else. Don't even forget about this, folks, but this world is passing away. And the only thing that will matter in the long run is those who abide and do the will of God. And so as we consider this and we look at this, we need to understand something, that this world system is a philosophy. One gentleman writes this about the cosmos or the world. What does it mean, do not love the world? It has nothing to do with love the planet Earth. You know, there's all these movements, you know, love the planet Earth, you know, adopt a tree or, or you know, or a baby seal or, you know, you know, kiss the dirt, I, you know, wh whatever, you know, adopt the world, you know, I, you know, but the problem is that God says, you know, he's not talking about dirt and water and, and cre creatures and things. He's talking about a world system. It's a world system that promotes a certain philosophy. One man writes this about this passage. He says the cosmos or world refers to an ordered system of which Satan is the head, his fallen angels and demons are his emissaries, and the unsaved of the human race are his subjects. Much in this world system is religious, cultured, refined, intellectual, but it is anti-God and anti-Christ. This world of unsaved humanity is inspired by the spirit of this age, which Trench, Trench defines as follows. All that floating mass of thoughts, 
opinions, maxims, speculations, hopes, impulses, aims, aspirations at any time current in the world, which it may be impossible to seize and even accurately define, but which constitutes a most real and effective power, being the moral or immoral atmosphere at which every moment of our lives we inhale again, inevitably, to exhale. We suck it in, and then we breathe it back out. And we need to recognize what that is. We need to understand truth so that we can identify falsehood. And in order to do that, we need to know that Jesus went on to say that, God, thy word, sanctify them in thy word. Set your people apart in your word because your word is truth. And when they know the truth, the truth will set you free. Now, all of this, I'm trying to give as a backdrop so we understand that, you know what, when it comes to financial areas of life, as well as every other area of life, when we know the truth of what God has to say, the truth will set us free from this debt that we found ourselves in because of the path that we've taken that has led us there to nothing but destruction. There's a way that seems right to man, but its end is destruction. God's ways aren't our ways. His thoughts aren't our thoughts. His thoughts are higher from the earth. From heaven to earth as our thoughts are from his thoughts. I mean, we don't even come close to thinking like God does until we know what his truth is. And then once we know that, his truth sets us free. So in the area of finances, it's no different. We need to know this truth because the truth will set us free. But the problem is we need to understand that, you know what? I need to recognize what these opinions and philosophies are that are floating out in the financial world that are in conflict to what God says is true. Because then I can expose them for what they are, and though the rest of the world buys into them, I can step back and say, hey, I'm separated from all of that because I know what God says is true. And you know what? There's not going to be a long list of people who are going to line up behind that say, that makes sense. I guarantee you, as you look at these and as they are exposed, the majority of us have bought into them because we've been led to believe it, and they're deceptions and they're illusions, and that's all that they are. And we need to flush them out so we can deal with them. So one of the things that, that, um, that I like to do, especially as I go through a series, is you know I run into stuff all the time, whether it's an article or a magazine or, or you know, a, a newspaper clipping, or someone will come up to me and say, hey, this has a lot to do with the finance series or whatever here, you know, take a look at this. And so I like to collect these things, or at least I'm more sensitive when I go through certain series of certain things. But, but almost anything that, that any series that I've ever taught, I can you know, recall seeing something and say, man, that would be a perfect thing. I'm going to cut out and save it for a series that we do maybe on marriage and family or a series that we'll do on finance or a series that we'll do on something else and just clip and save and you know get and just store the stuff all over the place and uh, and uh, and then try to remember where i put it but but the problem is this Here, here's one here's one ad that i saw talking about advertising illusions here's one ad that i saw that came in the mail and here's what it said this had to do with a, a credit card company and this is what it said. So far ahead in value, it actually pays to use it. Now, all I had to do to receive another $5,000 in credit was fill out this application and go ahead and send it in. And they even sent a pre-addressed, a self-stamped, stamp, you know, addressed envelope. Here, just go ahead and send it. In. And it's like, man, it'll pay me to use this. All right. Interesting. Why do we believe stuff like that? Does anybody believe that it pays you to use a credit card? They're going to pay you to use it. Anybody believe that? I don't know. I thought I did. 
maybe not. Well, here we go. Let's take a look at some things. Here's a, here's a TV commercial I ran into or saw not too long ago. It was, in, it was incredible. You can buy wealth, prosperity, financial freedom, and peace for the rest of your life. Wow. How do I get that? Send $297. And, and you'll get a set of tapes telling you how to make bundles of money. Or you could just call the 800 number and order it on your credit card. Well, after all, if you can buy wealth, prosperity, financial freedom, and peace for the rest of your life for $297, that's a pretty good deal. And you see that all the time, those similar, those self-help materials, especially in airline catalogs. Looking for peace and security at 35,000 feet. <laughs> now they even put phones right in front of your seat so you can hurry up and make the call. Hey, cover all the bases. Um, and, and then someone brought me an article or an ad not too long ago. The Ritz-Carlton here in Southern California said this. Your salvation is just a few miles away. Wow. Go to the Ritz-Carlton and you can be saved. You think Jesus paid a high price. Last night, I had to hurry up and run up and put this one in the notes. Saw a commercial late last night and said, $5,000 shopping spree can be true happiness. True happiness. All right, anyway, let's, let's get into some things here. Advertising illusions, five of them. Illusions. How about the first one? Can you see that one? Illusion number one. Where's our magician friend? I should, I should have you up here. You're, he's a magician. He does magi magic shows and stuff. I should have you do something, but I didn't think about it ahead of time, so don't try to wing it. Uh, <laughs> I may disappear. Uh, advertising illusion number one, what? You can't live, what? Without it. Now, let me ask you something. I don't know about you, but most of the time I never knew I needed it until someone said, now you can't live without it. I didn't even know I needed it. I was perfectly content with that 8-track system that I had. <laughs> I didn't know I needed a CD. But I didn't know I could live with the 8-track system. But now I find out I can't. So I can't live without it. Most of us don't even know we need it until someone tells us you can't live without it. And then once they tell you you can't live without it, you start to believe, I, I can't live without this. How did I... And here's what I always hear this time. And, and I like hearing this from people that buy air conditioning systems from me, but here's what I always hear. They said, I don't know how we've lived without it. And I would say this, and I don't know why you waited so long to call me. <laughs> but most of the time, the reason that they lived so long without it is because the wife is home on the hot days while her husband's at the air-conditioned office. <laughs> and by the time he gets home at night, it's nice and cool and he opens the windows. Ah, that may not be true, but it sure makes people feel guilty, doesn't it? Anyway... <laughs> Now, think about that. I mean, you, you stop thinking. You can't live without it. Now, let me ask you a simple question. When was the last time that you saw an ad for like a heart transplant? <laughs> now, I might not be able to live without that. Or a kidney transplant. It's like, hey, get yourself a new kidney because you can't live without it. Now, you never see stuff like that. Now, there are people out there who need those things that may not live without those. 
but I don't know about, you know, about buying a new outfit if I'm going to be able to survive or not if I don't get that. Or the new car or something else or some other product, I can't live without. Well, I've been living without it, and I don't think I'm close to death yet. But you know what the problem is? You can't live without it. How about the second one? I like this one too. Well, now why? Why should you deny yourself? Why should you deny yourself? That's a nice advertising illusion. And basically, what's it saying? Hey, you know what? Other people have it. Why should you deny yourself? Why can't you have what they have? And it preys on that lack of contentment that we have. See, these things exploit that lack of contentment. They exploit the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the, the need or for security and significance. See, advertising, and this isn't a criticism of advertising, you gotta understand something. Advertising, you know, is to sell a product. And that's what it does. But it also exploits these needs that we have to where we need to recognize and understand these illusions for what they really are. Now that's not to say if you want to buy something that there's anything wrong with advertising. If you're in the advertising business, hey, you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. That what I'm trying to do is help you understand the illusions that say, you know what, I can't live without something? Oh, yes, you can. You I mean, why should I deny myself? Well, you know why? Because sometimes you need to deny yourself. Sometimes God says, hey, you need to just say no. But everything in our culture is geared toward you can have it your way. You deserve what? You deserve a break today. You know, you can have it your way. You can have whatever you want. And we can find some type of attractive finance package to make it possible. But you can have whatever you want right now. And by the way, why should you deny yourself? Because after all, isn't life short? Eat, drink, and be merry. Because you're going to die tomorrow anyway. And let somebody else pick up that unpaid balance. But the reason you should deny yourself is because quite often in life, God says, say no. That you are deny yourself. Daily and pick up your cross and follow Jesus. Self-denial is part of the Christian life. Being able to say no to the, the, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life. Being able to say no is a part of who we are as Christians. And not only being able to say it, but, but being required to say it. Number three goes along with that. You know what? You can enjoy it now and pay for it later. You can enjoy it now. And there's a million different finance programs out there that will help you do it. There are so many ads that are, you know, it's amazing to me. It's not, I mean, I'm just amazed by this, and this is the truth, and this is the way it is. But even in the air conditioning business, we get people who will call us because it's 100 degrees that day, and they want to spend so many thousands of dollars to put in central air conditioning in their house and make it sound like we want it done right now because it's 100 degrees today. And it's like, you're making a 15-year decision based on the fact it's hot today. It's going to be hot tomorrow, it's going to be hot in August, it was hot last year, it's going to be hot next year. I mean, you know what? Stop and think about what you're doing and take your time and why are you paying a premium to get it done right now because it's hot today. You talk about an emotional purchase. You know, most big screen TVs are sold by, according to Paul, I am the king, uh, <laughs> during, during football season or Super Bowl time. This place sells more big screen TVs the week prior to Super Bowl than he does all year long. And you think that someone was renting the TV for the game. You're making a long-term purchase because there's a game coming up on Sunday. You would think there was a little more thought that went into it than that. And it all comes back to this. And I'm going to make it as easy as I can. We're going to give you a free delivery. <laughs> We're going we're gonna to give you everything free, and you don't even have to pay for it until Super Bowl 700. 
But read the fine print. You see, it all has to do with you can enjoy it now and you can pay for it later. Yeah, send it back. Okay, I watched the game. I don't like the TV. But see, that's the problem. You know, it's, and so many of us are, you know, you know, 12 months, same as cash. 18 months, same as cash. Everything that we can do in, in, in our commercial uh, culture that we live in to make it as easy as possible for people that don't know how to say no or budget or deny themselves or think long term to be able to just run down and get what they want that day. And then guess what? One day, you have to pay for it. One day, you'll have to pay for it because they don't give anything for free. Just thought I'd let you know. And that's what this one is. There's little or no cost involved. Now, someone may die and give you an inheritance. But this is what I've discovered about life. God is really the only person that's ever offered me something for free with no strings attached. And that's why it's so hard for people to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Because everything else in life comes with a price tag. Everything else in life comes with a, oh, by the way, this is the price that you need to pay. There's little or no cost involved. There's always a cost involved. And most of the time, what is presented as a little cost is a huge cost. But we don't recognize it and understand it. We need to realize that. Now, the, 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 the last illusion is this. How about this one? You know what? This product will meet your real needs. This product will meet your real needs. Now, the question I have and the problem I have is, what are my real needs? Well, according to God, my real needs are security, which he says, if you trust in me, I'll take care of you. I'll take care of that security. My real, real needs are significance. I need to know that I matter. I need to know that, that, that someone cares about me. I need to know that my time here on earth is going to make a difference in the life of another person. I need to know those things. And God says, hey, you are significant. I sent my son to die for you. That's how significant you are. And if you were the only person in the world, I would have still sent my son to die for you. That's how significant you are. You're so significant that, that you become an heir of all of that I have and you inherit everything. You're so significant that, that I call you a, a child of mine to those who believe in my son, a child of God to those who believe in his name. You are so significant that it doesn't matter what anybody else on the earth thinks of you. That's how much I think of you. See, I have needs for significance and security and all of those things. And so as you go through all this, you know, we need to recognize and understand, you know what? No product that anyone will ever offer is able to meet those needs. The Ritz-Carlton, as wonderful a place as it is and as beautiful a place that it is, cannot save you from the judgment of God. For God so loved the world that he gave us his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would what? Not perish, but have everlasting life. Only God can meet that need that we have to escape the judgment and the wrath of God that's to come. And not many people talk about that anymore. And even to make an advertisement that would make light on salvation is just a short drive down the beach. Hey, it may give you a break from your workload and from, it may give you a break and just get away in, in a time of refreshment, but it is not going to save anybody from the wrath of God. 
We need to recognize that and we need to understand that. That product, no product will ever meet your real needs. Only God can. Solomon had every product that the world had to offer. And he said, you know what? Everything that I had was vanity. It was futility. And you look around the room, and we've got a lot of people that have been through a lot of things in life. And the young people think that, you know what, if I could just have a house, or if I can have a new car, or if I can just get that stereo system, or if I can just have this, that, and the other thing, ask around at somebody, and look around, and you look at somebody that's older than you, and it looks like they've had those things, ask them, hey, did those things meet those real needs in your life? Did those things make you feel secure in the world that we live in? Did those things make you feel more significant than people around you? How much does it take to feel significant? I had a conversation with a guy who was making $12 million over the course of his contract and he was going to meet somebody else who, was, who, who basically was a multi-multi-millionaire and he was intimidated by the fact that, you know what, i got to go meet with this person and he wants to have lunch with me. What's so intimidating? This guy has hundreds of millions of dollars. And, well, I've only got so many millions of dollars. And that pales in, in comparison. I don't feel significant compared to him. We get these lists that come out in newspapers and magazines all the time. The 50 most wealthy people in the country. You know, the billionaire list, the millionaire list. And it's like, hey, you know what? A person that's making 500 million doesn't feel significant compared to the person making a billion or has a billion or the person that has 4 billion or 5 billion. It's so elusive. It's not going to make you feel any more significant. It's not going to make you feel any more secure because that thing that you thought would bring security in your life always breaks. It just does. See, we need to recognize and understand that no product will ever meet our real needs, that only God can do that. Only God can do that. And the problem as we have when we go through this, you know, I, I, ran, I saw in our, uh, a commercial the other day, you like this, this thing of significance. It was obviously a high school reunion or college reunion or some sort, and, and, uh, and Carl was, was voted the, the, mo- the one most likely to succeed. Okay. So a guy drives up in this fancy sports car, and he sees Carl driving up, and it looked like, and don't, you know, don't take this wrong, but I think it was a Ford Taurus or something. And if you have one, hey, God bless you, right? I, you know, but, uh, and I don't want to get sued by Ford or anything, but, but it was obvious because I saw the, the label on it. So he drives up in this thing, and here's what the guy in the fancy sports car says. Hey, Carl, I see business isn't going so good. Carl wasn't feeling very significant right there. See, because Carl was voted most likely to succeed. And Carl must not have been successful because he wasn't driving the sports car that was being advertised in that particular commercial. I thought, man, isn't that interesting how that works? Now, here's the problem. And we need to understand this as we, we look at the next thing. Advertisers are not responsible for us getting into problem debt. You understand that? We are responsible for our actions. True story. I had a lady call me this past summer. And she called me because she had rental property and the air conditioning system broke and they needed to replace it before the tenants went nuts and burned the house down. And uh, so she called and said, hey, you know what, I want you to give me a price to replace the air conditioning system in my house. Okay, fine. Uh, How did you hear of our company? Because I just refer or whatever. She said, oh, I saw one of your ads. Okay, great. Uh, so we have this conversation, and I tell her, okay, you know, well, here's, here's what you need for that house. And, and she goes, well, I had somebody else give me an estimate, and they tried to sell me something else. 
a bigger system, a lot more expensive, that didn't even make any sense to me, you know, being in the business. I said, well, you know what, I, you don't need that for that house and because of all these reasons. And I can save you a lot of money if you just put in what the house was built and designed, you know, to need. And she goes, oh, that's great. She goes, you know what, can you do it right away? So, well, we could do it probably tomorrow morning because we had an opening. Well, we'll do it tomorrow morning, but we've got to run and pick up all the stuff today. Great, go ahead and do it. About two or three hours later, she calls me back. She goes, hey, I, you t- I talked to you this morning, and you're going to put air conditioning in our rental property. Yeah, I said, yeah, it's fine. In fact, we're, we're running around picking all this stuff up. No problem. We'll be there. Uh, you know, I'm thinking she wants to just confirm the time. She says, D- don't do it. I said, why not? Just curious. She said, well, you know, I called the people that gave me the first bid, and I just told them what you said that I needed, and I also told them the price that you gave me, and they said, oh, okay, well, we can do it for that price too. I said, well, let me ask you just a stupid question, but... If they were trying to sell you something you didn't need for a lot more money, I'm just curious why you would believe that they would be a better equipped company to do your work than we would when we just went through all this and it was obvious that maybe they didn't know everything that they alluded to knowing. And she goes, well, yeah, but I I already made a decision. I said, yeah, well, not only you made a couple, actually. You made a decision when you told us to go ahead and do it and we're running around picking everything up and now you're saying that you made another decision. Which decision do you really mean? And she got all flustered. She goes, you know, you're making me really angry right now. <laughs> so well, I'm sorry. I don't mean to make you angry right now. I'm just confused and I need some direction here. And I said, and besides that, why, why is this my fault? Here's what she said. Well, maybe you shouldn't put any advertisements in the newspaper. <laughs> you can't make up stuff as stupid as this. <laughs> you just can't. You can't look on no shelf of any book for any illustration book for stuff like this, man. This is priceless. I said, now wait, let me get it. Because what? Well, you shouldn't put an advertisement in the newspaper. I said, now what did our advertisement say? Call us free estimates. Duh. <laughs> now, what, now, how deceptive was that? Well, you shouldn't put advertisements in the paper. And you shouldn't be so stupid. <laughs> I didn't say that. But I just thought, you know, that's fine. You know, no big deal. You, you know, do what you want to do. But although there is another lesson in here too, and this is to all, all the, the women out there. And it's a positive thing too. Oh, everybody going, oh, he's going to blast the women. No, no, listen. This, and this is, this, hey, now, this is what she said. You know, I don't know why my husband puts me in the middle of these things anyway. And then I felt bad for her. You know, I was like, oh, I see. So how many of hey, hey, buddy, listen up. You know what? Take some responsibility for stuff going around your house. I'd rather deal with the husband anyway than have the lady get put in the middle and have to make all those decisions and then have him blasting on her and hammering her why she's doing what she's doing. Hey, if you know more about certain things, then take responsibility, pick up the phone, and do it yourself. Right, ladies? Hey, see that? I'm not such a bad guy after all. All right. You're welcome, guys. Kiss up. <laughs> anyway, whatever. All right, so where are we at in all this? Okay, let me, let me go through these quickly and we'll, and we'll close on this. Because these are also some financial deceptions. Very quick. Uh, uh, advertising illusions, financial deceptions. Deception number one. Now, here's the problem. Is that, you know, all throughout my educational process, including undergraduate training and graduate studies in business administration and years in business, I've seen most deception in this area. Most deception has been perpetrated by accountants and bankers and business schools and businessmen regarding the use of debt. 
And, and, uh, and, and, and I think that it's more than most people realize. There is a prevalent deception that's going on in our world today that says this is sound financial or sound fiscal policy. And we're led to believe it, and we pass that information along to the next person without ever really checking it against God's standard, which maybe doesn't, you know, maybe the two don't, two, uh, don't meet one another. So number one, that's this. Borrowed money is always paid back with cheaper dollars in the future. Now this may or not be, now when I'm saying deception may be you know, a cruel thing to say, but let me at least put it this way. The majority of these, these financial principles that we are taught in our culture today typically do not explain what the assumptions are when people make these statements. For example, the assumption in this case, or most experts would tell you that borrowed money is always paid back with cheaper dollars in the future. If, and the assumption is this. If you can borrow at a fixed interest rate, and it's not adjusted to inflation, and inflation continues, then this may make financial sense. Right? And Carl, you're a financial planner. You're shaking your head. Yes, that's comforting to me at this point. <laughs> And, and, and so the problem is, it's like, okay, yeah, if, if inflation continues, these are the assumptions, and if you can lock in an interest rate that's not adjusted to the inflation, then yeah, it may make sense when you pay this back with cheaper dollars in the future. It sounds like financial wisdom. And everybody says, man, that makes a lot of sense to me. But the problem with such thinking is a little thing called economic cycles. And that is this. If you bought a home in the Southwest in the 80s, at the time where housing prices were skyrocketing, that may have made sense until what happened? Until oil prices fell and the price of real estate took a die. Now you got a problem because you were banking on the fact that my property would continue to appreciate because of inflation and therefore if I borrow today and lock in the rate, I'm going to be able to pay it back with cheaper dollars in the future. But the only thing that no one explained to you was there's still a risk in that thinking and that is if the price goes down, you're in trouble. We need to recognize and understand it. The same is all true with uh, Midwest farmland. Midwest farmlands in, in, the 80, in the 1980s were selling for $4,000 an acre. In the, in the late 80s, they were selling for $1,200 to $1,400 an acre. Oops. We were in Hawaii not too long ago, and uh, a cousin of mine bought a house. And he, this guy's hilarious. He's, he, he's made more money than I'll ever make in my lifetime, and he's lost more money than I ever lose in my lifetime. He's lost more money than I'll ever make. And he laughs about it all the time. He goes, you know, if you ever need any illustration for any of your Bible studies, just let me know, and I'll write them all down for you. <clears throat> he goes, I got it down, man. I got the system down pat. I buy everything high and sell everything low. And, 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 I'm, the only, you know, and I'm the only guy fighting to get in that line. And it's pretty funny, but so he did that. He went to, he, he was a software company in Northern California. He made millions of dollars when his company went public. And uh, so he ended up, re, he wanted to retire for a little while, take a sabbatical. He was 40 years old, moved to Hawaii where he lived for eight years. Said, I'm just going to move there. And he bought this beautiful house on Oahu, and we drove by it when we were there. And it's sitting there empty, and, uh, and, and there are people that are renting out the back half because they can't afford to rent out the real house. And... Uh, Anyway, he just said, hey, he bought it when the Japanese came in and bought up all his property in Oahu and drove all the prices up 30%, man, and he bought it right as it peaked. And now he's on that roller coaster ride going, and, you know, and it's like, you know, and it's all based on the fact that, you know what, economic cycles. The problem is, is that we need to recognize, I had a friend who moved to Idaho, saw him not too long ago, he got in the, in the uh, ranching business in Idaho. 
I said, hey, how you been? He goes, man, I made a small fortune in ranching in Idaho. I said, really? How'd you do that? He goes, I went up there with a large fortune. <laughs> All right. Thank you for that counsel. Pretty good stuff. You know who they are. They're shaking their head going, I know those people. But it's funny. Look at Southern California real estate. How many of you buy your house right at the worst time? High prices. Now where are they? Oh, please go back up. It's like you, bought, you closed escrow right when they announced the bankruptcy. Orange County bankruptcy. Next day, headlines in the paper. Oh, what in the world happened there? You know, we have friends that bought an apartment complex. Great investment. He played for the Rams. It was a great investment. It was going to produce income. But it was an income-producing property for his retirement. They bought this thing. Great investment. Great price. Great area. Fifteen years later, there's crack houses across the street. It's all run down. It's, it, the, the whole area is blighted. And their whole investment just got flushed down the toilet. And you know what? Why? Because there are things that happen in life that we have no control over. And we need to recognize and understand something. You know what? Loss of industry in an area. Orange County bankruptcy. Natural disasters. Other factors. I saw a commercial not long ago about uh, Sarajevo. You know, not too long ago, they had an Olympics in Sarajevo. And they showed athletes that were training in what used to be the Olympic complex. And you know what? It's all bombed. It's all destroyed. It's all gutted. And it's all ruined. Not, what, 10 years ago, we, there was an Olympics there. The world went to Sarajevo. And now it's all bombed out and destroyed. Hey, you know what? There are certain things that are assumptions that are not true about these financial, quote, axioms of life that need to be understood so that we can at least go in with our eyes open. If you're doing it because you think it's going to be cheaper in the future, that may be a deception. Number two is the tax deductibility of interest. I don't know how many times I hear people tell me, but it's a great investment because I get the write off the interest. Say, what? It's a great investment. Now, see, you need to understand about a tax deduction. It's not a tax credit. For example, if you spend a dollar on something and you're in a 30% tax bracket, it's going to save you 30 cents in taxes. Because we all hate to pay taxes, so we use this deception to say, hey, it's better than paying taxes, isn't it? So we save 30 cents on the dollar in taxes that we save, but we still spend 70% on interest to some lending institution that they make the, that's how they make their money. I had a friend who had enough money to pay cash for his house. And he had plenty of money left over for other investments and plenty of money left over to be liquid in case of emergency. And he said, well, no, I'm not going to pay cash for the house. I said, why not? And he's planning on living it long term. Wasn't planning on moving in a couple years or any of those things. Plan on living. He said, well, because I at least get the, uh, the, the, the uh, deduction for interest. So, okay. Now, here, here. Here's the illustration I gave him. I said, now you loan me $1,000. I'll promise I'll never pay you back. That way you can deduct $1,000 as a bad debt expense and reduce your tax liability by whatever tax bracket you're in. I'll keep the $1,000, I'll report it as income, and I'll pay taxes. Now you tell me, this isn't a trick question, you tell me which of us would be better off. And he looked at me like he had the strangest look on his face, like, my gosh, I never thought about that. Why? Because we are bombarded with messages that say, hey, get the tax deduction and write it off and save 30 cents. In the meantime, we're going to take 70 cents from you. Ooh, get up here, do something. Illusion, magic. <laughs> okay, number three. Number three and four will close quick. Inevitability of inflation. 
Hey, buy it today. This is the reasoning. I gotta buy it now, because it's gonna be more expensive tomorrow. Oh, really? That's people said when they ran out to buy all their houses when they hit a peak. If we don't buy a house now, we're not gonna afford it later. If we don't go out and get it today, we're not gonna be afforded tomorrow, so we gotta go out and get it, and plus we can get it financed, and we don't even have to put anything down, and they'll finance it, and they'll finance it for seven trillion years, and, 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 and we can meet it. Our month, you know, our monthly payment won't be that much. And so, you know, that, that illusion of, I gotta go get it today, cause it's gonna be more expensive tomorrow. I don't know about you, but I'm glad we waited to buy a big screen TV. Cause I went and saw my neighbor's big screen TV, and he bought it like when they first came out, ten years ago or whatever. And it's a pretty crummy TV. And he paid three times more than we paid for ours. But he had to go get it because, hey, you know what? It may be more expensive tomorrow. How many of you got computers around your house going, <sighs> but we thought we were getting a good deal until all of a sudden the company comes out and says, we got to unload all this stuff and so we're going to just drop all the prices because we got a new, more improved, faster, more efficient, big, 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 and we can, all, you can do all this stuff with it, you can't do it with this one, so we're going to have to get rid of this one and sell it to people a lot cheaper than people that bought them paid three times as much for them just last year. But they had to run out and get them because they may be more expensive tomorrow. I don't know about you, but a lot of things in the tech, technological area of life have actually got more efficient, more productive, and more and less expensive. Things don't always get more expensive. In fact, if you want to buy a house in Hawaii, I know somebody can give you a really good deal. And the last thing is this, the magic of leverage. The magic of leverage. Here's the way leverage works. Buy a house for $200,000. In graduate school, they call it this, OPM, other people's money. Use other people's money. Don't use your money. And the way it works is this. Buy a house for $200,000, put 10% down. That's $20,000. If the house appreciates 10% a year, it appreciates on the $200,000. So you make $20,000. You make $20,000 on a $20,000 investment. You make a 100% investment, a return on your investment. Hey, use other people's money. The magic of leverage. And you know what? And, 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 and sometimes leverage will work for you. Sometimes it's going to work for you. But the problem is, I know a whole bunch of people that are in financial debt, deep debt, because of this magic of leverage. They've secured everything that they're doing, and they've built this house of cards. And you know what happens? At some point, it just all comes tumbling down. See, the problem with leverage is, it's kind of like riding an alligator. No, it really is. You know, it's a lot easier to get on than it is to get off safely. And that's exactly what happens with people who leverage everything and hope that, you know what, I can keep using other people's money all the time and that way I don't have as much risk involved. But the problem is for people to continue to loan you money, they want certain things in return. And they're gonna ask for personal letters of guarantee. And they're gonna ask for other collateral. And they're gonna ask for other things. And then by the time, and, and this is what happens, you go, well, how can an athlete who's made millions of dollars over a port, uh, course of his career lose everything and end up being bankrupt because of leverage? Because he's had financial advisors that got him involved in all these things and he had to personally guarantee one thing after another or use collateral of one thing after another and he built up this big empire and all of a sudden the basis wasn't solid at all and it fell apart and it all came crumbling down. And they had nothing less to show for it. The point of all this is simply this. You know what, I mean, what does this have to do with what God says as far as the road to debt? If you don't believe anything else, believe me when I say this, that God alone 
is our security, and God alone is our sense of significance. You can't get that anywhere else. You can only receive it by believing in Jesus Christ. And the second point is this. We need to be so in love with the Lord and so in love with his word that you know what? We'll have perfect peace as we apply the principles of finance in our life that nothing else in life will cause us to stumble. We are bombarded with information that is contrary to the truth of God's word. These things are taught as if they're gospel truth in graduate schools and business schools across our country. And the assumptions and the risks are never even mentioned. And when you say you're going to do something, I had a friend who said, I'm going to pay, cash for, pay off my house mortgage. And his dad, who was a very big wig in the economic end of business and other things, said that doesn't make any sense at all. He says, but you know what? We prayed about it, and God gave us a peace about it, and he, and he said, this is what we should do, and we're going to be debt-free. And his dad didn't understand it for a minute because he is immersed in the wisdom of the world, which, by the way, is foolishness in the sight of God. Folks, we need to be sold out to the Word of God. And when it conflicts with the, the messages that we're getting bombarded with on a regular basis, we better be able to identify the truth from error and say, God, thank you for your truth because your truth sets me free and has kept me from all these other problems that I hear other people are getting into. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thanks for this time to be together. We look forward to what you have to teach us in the ways of how to get out of debt, problem debt, and even what you say about debt, whether it's right or wrong or whether borrowing's right or wrong or what, is, what does your word have to say. And God, we just thank you that we can clearly see that the next time we get together. In Christ's name, amen.